Welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome back to Throwback Paperback. I'm one of the hosts, Asia Bonilla. And I'm Charles Sheeland, the other host. And today we're starting the second and best book of the Hunger Games series, Catching Fire. As we like to tell you every week, we're a book club podcast with the Nerd Party Network, and we're reading and rereading young adult books and sharing them with each other. And this episode begins the second book of our fifth book series of the show. And that also means that we're already halfway through the plot of this series. Yeah, we've normally been alternating between series that one of us has read and the other hasn't, so you get to hear perspective of someone who's reading for the first time and the perspective of someone who's rereading. But we are treating ourselves right now to the Hunger Games series, which both of us have read and know pretty well because it's such quintessential young adult literature. So we just like we needed to cover it and it's definitely not disappointed at all yet. We've been really enjoying rereading it. Yes, we both love the Hunger Games a lot and especially Catching Fire, and that's why we're super-duper excited to dive into this book today. So Charles is on summary duty for this series, so he's going to go ahead and recap the first half of Catching Fire. Yeah, so in this reading, we have Katniss adjusting to her life as a victor and her relationships with Peeta and Gail and Hamish and her mom and how all of those have really changed. She and Peeta go on their victory tour in which they do not convince President Snow that they're actually in love In fact, we start to see the districts rise up in rebellion, and then there's quite a crackdown in District 12 by the Capitol. Eventually, the quarter quell is announced, and it turns out that the tributes are going to be reaped from the existing pool of victors. So Katniss and Peta are headed back into the arena, and they're preparing for the arena, and they head to the Capitol, and the plan is for Katniss and Hamish to save Peta instead, and... We finished the reading with them basically arriving in the Capitol, about to get ready for the games. And, you know, I always get my first impression was that this reading had way more rebellion than I remembered and way more Hamish, both of which I liked. Like, I like Katniss's new familial relationship with Hamish, and I didn't remember it as much. So I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it's definitely very nice to read. For me, I I just kind of forgot how much of this first half of the book like has nothing to do with like the actual games and them going back in the arena. And I just didn't realize how much we get before they, you know, announce the quarter quell and that they're going to have to go back in because I feel like, you know, that's the most exciting part and also Probably because in the movie, it just everything moves a lot faster because obviously they're fitting an entire book into only a two hour movie. So I don't remember them going as in depth with this. Like, I feel like this just happened faster, but I could also be misremembering the movie. I don't know how long it's been since I watched it. But I also was just thinking about right now in this moment of I do remember reading Catching Fire a little bit for the first time, you know, in middle school. And I remember being like, oh, like Katniss and Peeta, like they're victors, like they're going to have to mentor the kids in the next Hunger Games. And I remember like just the just absolute plot twist of them having to go back in and you being like, oh my God, what's going to happen? And so like I just, I'm 
really looking forward though to the second half and getting into that because I just know for anybody out there who's reading this series for the first time, like there's just going to be tons of plot twists on top of plot twists on top of plot twists coming up. Yeah. And the victors are like the tributes that you're going to meet in this one. They're a little more fleshed out than they are in the first one because Katniss has been like researching them and the games are going to be very different. They're going to be, it's going to be interesting and it's going to be, yeah, there's going to be more plot twists, like Asia said, for sure. But I think that you're totally right. In the movie, the beginning half of the book really is much quicker. Like, the description, like, the crackdown in 12, it's, like, just visual. Like, I don't think it's explained as much. Like, I definitely think that Gail is whipped in the movie. Yeah. But it's much, it's more... Also, like, how they describe the timeline in the movie is six months after The Hunger Games, which... At this point, so we can assume the Hunger Games take place, like, in the spring slash early summer. Spring, summer. And six months after that is when the Victory Tour happens, which this is in the winter because they talk about it's snowing and stuff. And that's when Pete and Katniss go visit all the districts on their Victory Tour. And then, obviously, then six months after that is when the games happen again. So, basically, what we're getting in this first half of the book is from, basically, fast forward to they've they're about to start the victory tour. And then we get from the victory tour to them now prepping for the next Hunger Games and finally announcing, like, that it's the quarter quell since it's the 75th Hunger Games. So, like, we're getting, like, pretty much a six-month period in 14 chapters, which, like, is just, I feel like, probably within, like, 30 minutes of the movie. Oh, yeah, if that. If if 30 yeah. minutes. Well, yeah, you'll... And also, I do think that, like... The experience of the games, again, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but the experience of the games in Catching Fire, they're not going to, the arena time is not going to be as long. Like, I think they're in the arena for, like, tops a week, whereas in the first book, they're in the arena for, like, two, three, four weeks because, like, there's a week at the beginning, and then there's, like, the period with Rue, and then there's a period of nursing Peta back to health, and then there's like nursing Peta back to health after the poison as well. Like, and then there's like, it's like, you know, you get to the point where like Foxface is emaciated. So like the, they're in the arena longer. And also like the description just takes longer of like introducing the world. But yeah. And also, I mean, you can just think about obviously for this games, you're going to be having more experienced people. You're going to be having adults who are going to be much smarter and like less vulnerable than literal children having to fight to the death. So of course everything is going to go a lot quicker. Yeah. So, but before we get into those games, cause we really want to, let's finish this episode first. So we dive in and we find out that Gail was very unwilling to play for the cameras when she became a final eight tribute in the last games. So he's been introduced as her cousin and Katniss has not unpacked any of her feelings about Gail or Peta. And Gail kissed her, but then he never mentions it again, which I totally take issue with. I think that's, like, so gaslighty of him to kiss her once and then never mention it again. But more importantly, I actually want to talk about him not being willing to play for the cameras. Like, not... Because he was so jealous of Peta and so angry, which I understand, except that if he wanted to be supportive of Katniss and get her out of that arena alive, he should have done a better job. I think the not playing for the cameras thing is, I think based on how it was described, it was also not even just that, but like 
Gail, who's like this tall, like attractive looking man who's supposed to be her best friend, who's a couple years older. Like people were just like, if that's her best friend, it's just totally unbelievable that they're like not together. Like, you know what I mean? From like the capital's perspective. So I feel like even if Gail like would have been willing to play along or whatever, like I don't really think that would have worked. Like I think their best bet was to make him like her a family, relative. Yeah. a relative, which like I didn't even remember this because again, I don't know if that that's in the movie either. That like small detail, I but think so, but I just didn't actually. I think you're right. I think I think it is because when I think in the movie when President Snow comes to see Katniss, which we'll talk about in a second, like he's like, "What were you doing kissing your cousin?" <laughs> but. As far as the kiss goes, like, I understand Gail's, like, perspective of, you know, it's awkward. Like, if you have a really good friend and, like, you have a crush on them, like, you should say your feelings and put them on the table. But obviously, you also have to know by doing that, you're going to be risking your friendship. So that's fine. But I think also from something that I'm definitely gaining perspective on in this love triangle, because I remember in middle school being like, why is Katniss so confused? PETA is clearly the, like the proper choice. She's only thinking about Gail that way because they've just been friends forever. And he's finally showing some interest in her. Like PETA loves you. He will do anything for you. He'll die for you. He's the perfect man. (laughs) Like me as a 13 year old reading this, but like now being older, like we also have to remind ourselves that Katniss is literally only 16 years old going on 17 and like this is her first experience ever dealing with any kind of romance at all so it totally makes sense that like she'd be confused about her feelings for both of them because it's like obviously she has gail who's been her best friend her entire life they're literally are like family like they protect each other i mean she talks about that when she first goes into the games like she wishes gail were there like have her back like she's just so used to that from them hunting in the woods all the time versus Peta who they're kind of obviously thrown together, have this super traumatic experience together and essentially save each other's lives. And Peta, who has, you know, pretty much admitted that he's had a crush on her forever, loves her, like we said, will literally do anything for her. So, like, it's definitely, like, a confusing position to be in. And it's, like, all in amongst that, she's trying, you know, to not get killed by the Capitol or not get any of her family members or Peta or Gail murdered by President Stone. So, like, it's just a lot to be on your plate at 16, 17. Oh, yeah. I'm totally, like, sympathetic towards Katniss. I think that she's doing a great job, given, given what she's going through. I'm just not sympathetic towards Gail. Like, I think that, one, I had to do no, it yeah, just once. Gail. That is a douchey line. Like, only, like, that sounds like a douche, something a douche would say. I had to do that just once. And then he never talks about it again. Also, very douche move. So, clearly, everyone knows where I stand on this love triangle as well. Like, I clearly am team PETA. But I think that Katniss is doing a great job, especially because she can't, like, she can't sort through her feelings about PETA because they're inexorably linked with this, you know, traumatic experience where she was killing other teenagers and they were trying to kill her. And, like, she knows that some of her feelings for PETA are real, but she also knows that some of them were staged. And she probably doesn't want to think about that because she knows that it hurt PETA when, like, Katniss is doing a great job dealing with this. That's also why, I mean, already, I mean, right at the beginning of the book or, like, not right at the beginning, but within like the first couple chapters, PETA eventually comes and apologizes to Katniss. Oh, yeah. When they're in the victory tour saying, you know, I reacted kind of badly. Like that was a little immature of me, like because my feelings were hurt. But, you know, 
I'm, can we at least like be friends and like actually get to know each other? And like, I really like that. Like, oh, don't worry. I have a section. I'm team PETA. Like (laughs) this podcast is, was team Edward. This podcast is team PETA. We, I also just. I have a section of, later on in the outline called hashtag Peta Praise. I'm ready for it. But what you just talked about that line of I had to I do, had that, to do once. that once. I'm no sorry, but I'm getting you. a little. I'm getting a little Jacob Black flashbacks. Yeah, we we. I think we should spend a little time comparing them, maybe at the end of the episode. But like, yes, definitely. I had to do that. No one was forcing you. No one was forcing you. Get your hormones <sighs> under control, Gail. Like, no one was forcing you. Yes, but anyway, apparently us and President Snow agree <laughs> on no Gail because, like I kind of just mentioned, he comes by and talks to Katniss and tells her basically that she really needs to sell being madly in love with PETA when they go on the victory tour because... There's been some uprisings and things and stirrings in the districts, and he's saying, you need to make sure that everybody knows it was just you were acting insanely out of love, which she does her best, and this ultimately culminates in PETA proposing at the end of the tour when they're in the Capitol. Yeah. Quickly, we got to mention that President Snow smells like blood and roses, which is really disgusting. And Katniss, like, thinks that, like, maybe he drinks it blood. So, you know, we got another <laughs> Twilight connection. But, so he blames her for the tension in the districts. So I have a, many thoughts, and I think we're going to spend all episode talking about this because it's an overarching theme of this reading. But one, how is Katniss supposed to know about tension in the other districts? He, they literally try to keep the district as separate as possible. So she's all surprised. And he's like, it's so fragile. And she's like, how was I supposed to know that? I have no idea what's going on. Well, she even says she's like, it's awfully fragile if it just takes some berries to destroy everything. Oh, trust me. I have more thoughts on that, too. And, like, how, it, like, the logic that of this, like, you guys have to sell the madly in love thing. How is her being in love going to change how people feel? Like, yes, maybe the berries were a moment of rebellion. I understand that. Like, she didn't mean it that way. She meant it as, I can't go back to District 12 having killed PETA because I would feel terrible. But so even if she meant it as a spark of rebellion, that doesn't change how people are feeling. Like, the fact that people are rising up is not just due to the berries. So even if people think that she is madly in love with PETA, the like, oh my god, it just doesn't make any sense that, like, her selling the act would change how people feel when they're being oppressed. Yeah, definitely. I also wrote that down. Because Katniss even says, she's like, I don't think any amount of, like, displays of love and being all over PETA is going to change, you know, the spark of the rebellion that happened because of what happened with her in the Hunger Games and it's kind of like she's the girl on fire. Like, she literally sparked this in people. Like, people were already upset with their living conditions. And Katniss taking the berries, the nightlock, and giving them to PETA and trying to commit suicide and basically best the capital, best the games, gave these people hope that they could fight back. Like, so there's... But to go with that metaphor, just to keep the metaphor and the title of the books, like you said, Katniss is the spark... And but for fire to catch, you need to have a lot of timber. You need you need to have built like a campfire. Yeah, like the spark itself is not so enough. All those oppressed like, people are like the just wood. her one act of. Re- 
Like, but like just her one act of rebellion would not cause like, unless there was a foundation that was ready to go. Like fire wouldn't catch if it was jet, if everyone was super happy with their lives. And she's like, I want to kill myself. Like if everyone was happy with their lives, there wouldn't be cause for rebellion. Exactly. Like. (laughs) Exactly. Sorry, I didn't. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I just you the way you said it perfectly no, yeah. with spark. I was and like, I think we're going to talk fire. a little bit more about it later with the whole thing. Definitely. But I really quick just also wanted to mention that I think for one of like the things she's trying on, Katniss says like, "Oh, it's so soft. Like, what is it?" And it's ermine fur, which is what we just talked about. It is dark materials, so I guess there are ermine in the Hunger Games world, too. So, you know, throwback to Pan, uh, Lyra's demon, because I still, you know, I thought it was a bug, but, you know, we don't need to rehash <laughs> that embarrassing <laughs> embarrassment on myself. But then the other thing I just wanted to mention was that... You know, Katniss kind of, since we're getting, it's from her perspective, we're getting a lot of her thoughts. And again, like, I feel like as a middle school, I was like, oh my God, Peter's going to propose. Like, that's so exciting. She's going to get married. You know, you know, you're taught as a little girl, like, that's the best thing that could happen. You get married. But (laughs) anyway, (laughs) Katniss ultimately isn't upset by the idea of marrying Peta specifically because, I mean, they make lots of comments like, hey, Mitch is like, could you really do any worse? Like, Peta's pretty great and he loves you a lot. And it's not like she feels... Well, he's like, you could live a hundred lifetimes and you still wouldn't be worthy of him. And she's like, I know, you're right. I'm a terrible person and he's such a good well, person. Well, especially too, because it's not like Katniss feels nothing for him. Like, she does care for him. It's just that she's like confused in comparison to Gail, but ultimately with the marriage, she's just upset because she no longer even has a say in how her life is going to play out. Like, because when she finds out that she, Hamish is like, you're going to have to stay with him forever. Like, this is your life now. Like, you have to keep this up. And also because Katniss has had this whole thing, like, she was never going to marry because she doesn't want to have kids because she doesn't want to let her kids go into the Hunger Games. So, like, she had no desire for that. So, for her, her reaction is more just like, again, just losing literally all control of your life. Yeah, this is actually a perfect time to bring in the segment that I mentioned, hashtag PETA praise. So, one, PETA doesn't punish her when, with a disingenuous kiss. Like, Katniss is like, when they, you know, when they, like, reunite and then they're back on camera, she's like, he doesn't let me down. Like, he's not gonna... One, that's because he's in love with her, so obviously, like, any chance to kiss her, he's obviously gonna, like, go for it. But it's not like he's like being tepid or distant with her, even though he's disappointed. And that moment that you mentioned where he apologizes, he's like, it was unfair of me to assume that everything that was happening in the arena was a hundred percent accurate because you got the two of us out of there alive. And I was like, thank you, PETA. Kind of like, again, we're just pulling these twilight parallels, but you know how in eclipse when Edward's like, I was wrong to not trust your judgment. I'm going to trust your judgment. You can go to the reservation. Granted, that doesn't go well. But, you know, Edward tr- like Edward grows and he trusts her judgment. And he supports her making her decisions. And Peter's like, I was wrong. Like, there's some self-awareness on Peter's part. And he's like, I shouldn't have assumed you were just doing what you thought was right. Like, he's just so in love with her and he's so devoted. And he can recognize his own faults. So, you know... Peter praise. Yeah, I like Peter praise. 
Right? I'm, I, this, is, this is what I do when I write um, the outlines for this episode is I come up with segment titles. Okay. Sassy Katniss, Sassy Will, and Peter Prince. Okay. And then, so back to the tour. The only really big thing that happens with them is the just disaster that happens in District 11, <laughs> which I, that's right at the beginning because basically the bad things happen and then they just like fast forward through everything to try to get it through. But at District 11, which obviously we know is an important district because the two biggest characters we met were uh, Rue and Thresh in the Hunger Games, and those were both... Well, Rue was obviously Katniss's ally and a huge deal to Katniss, and then obviously she cares for Thresh and that how he just let her go and was nice to her in that one moment and, like, that essentially, like, could have, like, saved her life. So, obviously, going District 11 is a big deal for them, and PETA actually makes a promise that he's going to give one month's winning one month of their winnings for like every year of their lives so basically those two families like will no, never starve again because like they said the amount of money they get like one month like a whole family can make that last for a whole year so that was really nice of him and then with hearing that Katniss because at first Katniss is like I'm not gonna say anything because you know I don't want to incite any more rebellion so I can't trust myself to say anything but then after hearing PETA and she sees like Rue's family and Rue had like six or seven younger like younger siblings and she's like I have to say something and she gives a really personal like beautiful speech about how like she acknowledges Thresh's family which I think it's like just his grandmother and sister or something and like acknowledges how I only met Thresh once but he only showed me kindness in that moment and like he's part of the reason why I'm still standing here and then obviously she gives a whole thing for Rue's family about how like she misses Rue she loved Rue like she sees her sister in Rue and basically obviously like District 11 is very like comforted by this speech like they really enjoy it and so they do Rue's little four whistle, which I'm sure if any of you guys have are familiar with the Hunger Games, it's Well, that was pretty good. That was really good. Asia didn't think I could do it. I can I mean, do it. I can do it and I can I have a really well, good like... story of the whistle. Okay, well we don't have time for that right now, but <laughs> <laughs> I'll save it for the end. But <laughs> anyway, Someone, they, they, the crowd starts the whistle and then they do the little three finger salute where you like kiss your fingers. Which is from District 12. It's not a District 11 thing. That's what's so groundbreaking is cat. It's a District 12 thing. And then Katniss does it in the arena. Katniss is in the arena. So they know that it's from District 12. And they see it and they do it for her. And the whole crowd, like the thousands, hundreds of thousands of people probably, they do it. So it's really, really like powerful. And then... (sighs) That's the end of the good things because then the peacekeepers, one the peacekeepers go. They find the man. Oh, because Katniss like makes eye contact like with the man who started it. I guess like he's somewhere in the crowd. I think, and the peacekeepers grab him, drag him up to the stage because Katniss like forgot her flowers. Like they were walking off the stage, and then she's like, "I forgot my flowers." So they go back and they witness this man being shot point blank in the head just murdered right in front of them for, for starting a whistle. For starting the ruse whistle in acknowledgement of what Katniss said. So, that's ter- that's the start to the victory tour. And 
this basically turn of events causes Katniss and Hamish to like they finally have to like let Peta know what's going on with President Snow and how President Snow is basically like there's a lot of like disruption in the districts because of what they did in the games at the end. And so, I mean, that's why, like, District 11 has a whole bunch of peacekeepers anyway, and they just had a public execution for someone for whistling. But in this moment when they, like, are talking to Peta about it, it's also revealed that Haymitch did choose Katniss in the last Hunger Games to save and win. And this was kind of like Peta, he figured, like, Peta was obviously very much in love with Katniss and wanted to keep her alive anyway. And... Also, Katniss obviously had more skills and, like, actually had a chance from the beginning anyway. So that's why Hamish gave all of the gifts to Katniss. Like, they only got gifts collectively once they were together. So it's just... I mean, that's just reality. I mean, I would have picked Katniss, too. Oh, yeah. Well, Hamish's logic is sound. Like, Katniss gets the highest training score. She's doing a great job in the arena, She's a survivor, and he's right. He's like, Peta was going to do everything he could to protect you. Like, I mean, if he was willing to die, and I have to, I can only save one of you anyway, you know, it makes perfect sense. Um, It's heartbreaking because Hamish is like, every year I watch two of them, and then I kind of have to choose one of them, and then they die anyway. So, you know, I want to (laughs) also... I have to mention, this is a tiny bit of a spoiler, but, like, not really. But, like, so in this moment, Hamish promises Peta and both of them, he's like, I promise I'll tell you everything I know. You guys will always be in the loop. The three of us are a team. And, like, that's just, like, not true. It's not going to be true. And also, like, we don't even have, we haven't even gotten resolution from the last book of how much he and Peta planned, like, the love proposal, like, the love confession. Like, it's just funny that P- Kat, Pat Hamish is like, I promise I'll tell you guys everything when, like. Hamish is I, always keeping secrets. Honestly, Hamish is probably, keeping secrets. He probably forgets things, too, since he's drunk all the time. And then they come back to him and he's like, oh. <laughs> he's like, shouldn't well, have said that. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> but, yeah, so then it kind of fast forwards through all the other diction. The, all the other districts, and then they wrap up the tour at the Capitol where, you know, Katniss kind of asked President Snow, like, was it enough? Did he, did she convince him? And no, Snow says it wasn't enough, which, again, like we said before, it's kind of a pretty impossible task, you know, when you've been starving the people of your country and you're just blaming it all on this 16-year-old girl for her one action. Yeah. So, like, at first Katniss is like, maybe we can escape Pan Am. And then she finds out that at least Districts 3, 4, 7, 8, and 11 are in some level of uprising. And so then, right before they return to 12, I want to mention that, so they're at the party, and they find out that the capital citizens, they make themselves throw up so that they can keep eating at a party. Like, and I just think it's a really good juxtaposition to... The public executions in District 11 for children who steal food during harvest. Like, I just think that, like, trying to sell PETA and Katniss being in love, like, was not going to fix problems in a country where you have some people who are being shot because they're eating food because they're starving. And you have other people who are 
making themselves throw up so they can keep eating. Like, presidents know, like, your system of government isn't working that well. So, like, again, if it's that fragile that two 16-year-olds are going to disrupt it, like, make, burn the whole thing down. Yeah, which this is definitely something as this book and then the third book of Mockingjay, they definitely dive into, like, the structure just of Panem and, like, how, like we're saying, like, fragile it was, like, and how over time it's not this, the idea of the Hunger Games making the districts pay is just not a lasting system. But we'll definitely get to dive more into that as we continue. Yeah. Well, also, like, the whole, like, keeping the districts apart is such a, like, it would work better if you didn't also bring children from the districts together every year. Because, like, an alliance like Ruse and Katniss's doesn't happen every year. But, like, that inexorably brought a connection between Districts 11 and 12 that wasn't there before. And every year you're putting a bunch of... I know I know the tributes are, like, gonna eventually kill each other. But I'm like, you create opportunities every year. Like, there's a bad system. I was gonna say that it's also just that they're, like, actually physically distanced from each other. Because even if, like... like even how Katniss had no idea that the other districts were rising up. Like, you'd have no way of knowing because there's no way of communicating between districts. So it's kind of like they've isolated. So it's like they can keep control of just District 11 is rebelling or just District 8 or even a few of them. But if they were to all know they were rebelling together, obviously there's way more people in the districts than there are in the capital. Like, so if they all were to band together, they would have a much better chance at winning, which is why they have to keep them separated. So we go back to 12. There's a bit of a crackdown. Like I mentioned, Gail gets whipped. A bit? A a lot of a crackdown. The black market is burned. Gail gets whipped. The fence is powered up. And basically, it starts to look more and more like the other districts. We're not seeing public executions, but we're seeing a lot of public whippings. And we get introduced to Morphling, which is morphine. um, And it's a medical-grade painkiller that kind of puts you to sleep. So, you know, cat like some of it is given to Gale through Madge so but it's just going to be important for the next two books more fling is morphine and then Katniss goes out on the day the fences get powered up later Katniss meets Bonnie and Twill two women from eight who escaped and they're going to district 13 which is Canada or where Canada was And because they realize that the old footage of District 13 that's always being played on the news is the same footage over and over again. And they're like, they developed a society underground there. And therefore, we're going to escape. And, like, at first, Katniss is like, well, District 13 doesn't exist, so that's dumb. But also, she's like, but really, like, they don't have any other choice. They can't go to the other districts. They can't be in eight. So, like... Might as well go. You know, they can die in a district or they can die outside of Pan Am. <laughs> yeah, which this whole scene, like, I didn't really remember this at all. Like, because this is when Katniss sneaks out to the woods for the first time because going out in the woods now is, like, illegal with all the new rules. And, like, I remember I was like, I'm pretty sure she's going to run into somebody. But, like, I just didn't remember this exact, like, storyline. But also, I mean, it's kind of pretty important because this is this is how Katniss is introduced to, you know, the idea of District 13 still existing. Like, this is the first time she's presented with that idea. And, you know, shortly after, she is going to, when she gets back home, she watches the footage that they play of District 13. 
And it is always the same footage because how they can identify it is there's a Mockingjay that, like, always flies through, like, one corner because, you know, there's always Mockingjays in this book. And she's like, it's the same footage. So, like, I mean, obviously that doesn't tell you anything besides, well, they... And, like, she talks about it with Hamish and, like, he's like, they could just be using old footage because they're lazy and they don't want to go back they're there. They're lazy. But it's at least pointing to this idea of there's a possibility that there's something going on over there if they haven't been back in a long time. But also when we meet Bonnie and Twill, they have, like, the shape of Katniss's Mockingjay that's on her pin. They have it, like, carved into the bread they're holding, and they show it to her to, like, say that, like, we're on your side, like, on the side of the rebellion, which this is something that this is kind of a hint about a scene that we did get earlier in the reading, which we're not going to get into it because it will spoil the second half of the book, but... It's just a pretty big clue for what is going to be coming in the second half. Yeah, and if you know what the hint is or you want to discuss or you have a theory, of course, you can always like reach out to us and we'll talk about it directly. And we'll discuss, definitely discuss that moment next week because it will be like resolved. But um, I did not, I, I didn't remember that hint moment, so... But yes, you're totally right. The whole purpose of this scene is to introduce Katniss to the idea that 12, I mean, that 12, 13 is not completely obliterated. And so before we get to the quell, there are a couple things I want to mention. One, Katniss and Peta work on her family book, which is so cute. Also further proof that Peta is her family and that she needs to be with Peta because she's letting her, him draw in her family book. And PETA is like, wow, we're finally doing something normal together. Which was Also, can we just talk about how PETA is an artist? He's an, an artist. He can paint. He literally, paint. like, is like, he, he can, can paint. Frost. He, he can frost. He can bake. He can draw. He is a perfect husband. He is husband material right there. PETA is husband material. And, and what can Gail do? Make coal. Mine coal. Gail can make can snares. Hunt. But she's also, a better hunter like, than him. She's a better hunter. He's just good at snares. Well, he's better at snares. I mean, there was a whole section where she just talks about Gail's hands, and I was like, oh, my God. I know. She's like. Katniss talking. He's like, those hands that are so so rough from all the, like, making of the snares and the hunting, but so so soft to, like, delicate to, like, know, like, not to disturb the animals. I was like, whoa, Katniss. (laughs) Somebody likes Gail's hands. I mean, she talks a lot about his lips, too. Well, after they kiss i think because she's like i've never noticed gill's lips before and she's like They're i can so never warm. stop looking at them and i'm like oh my gosh someone their hormones have been activated she's she's gone she's lost her innocence like lyra <laughs> she the, the dust the dust is flow flowing back. the dust is flowing <laughs> oh that was a throwback paperback deep cut okay <laughs> um yes so basically again team pita we're doing something normal so cute Number two, we have this really sad, funny moment. So Katniss is like at home and Prim comes home and Katniss is like, how was school? And Prim says, we learned about coal byproducts. Like what a miserable, boring school day that would be because like they literally just go to school so they can prepare for their district's industry and district 12 is coal. So, you know, a fatal, like a job where you're like high probability of death and cat prim just like 
we learned about coal byproducts. Like, what a sad lecture to go to school. I wonder, I wonder what the women do because it, it sounds like mainly just the men work in the mines. Well, do they probably work with the byproducts? Like, I don't know. So that's why Prim Prim's learning what her <laughs> Prim's learning what her future is going to be. be Let me just double check well, what gold coal Prim byproducts would be, are. Prim's obviously going to be like a healer or something, like her mom though. So she's at least she doesn't have to worry about that. Okay, coal byproducts, fly ash, gypsum, and slag have commercial applications and can be sold. Slag can be used for abrasives, roofing materials, fly ash can be used for wallboard, and gypsum can be used in cement. What are they going to... What? I guess you can... Do they sell it? I don't know. The capital uses it to build things. Thank you, Tennessee Valley Authority, for providing that direct quote. Um... And Google for coming in clutch. But, yeah, so apparently, you know, I guess Prim now knows how to make cement out of gypsum. And she can make roofing materials out of slag. Such useful information. (laughs) But moving on. Then we finally get the declaration about the quarter quell that is going to be... The tributes will be pulled from the existing pool of victors, which means Katniss is definitely going in because obviously she's the only female victor from District 12, and it's either going to be Peta or Haymitch. So the three of them train like careers, which I just thought this was funny because Peta's like, we have to train like careers, like we have to get in shape and we're going to start lifting. Like, so Katniss is like, we start running around, we start lifting stuff. And I was like, is this how you get in shape? And, um, but yeah, this is Peta's plan because, you know, he wants, Peta wants, obviously, Hamish and Katniss to come home to survive. Obviously, one of them as a mentor, so Hamish is a mentor and Katniss as the winner. Meanwhile, Katniss and Hamish have their own plan, of course, on getting Peta home alive, though... The first wrench in their plan happens because Hamish gets picked and then Peta immediately volunteers for him. So it's going to be Peta and Katniss going in to the arena. Yeah. I remember reading that and I was so betrayed when that happened. The first time I read it, I was like. I mean, it made sense. I no, mean, there's no way Hamish was going back and he would have died. He would have never. No, no. Him. I just meant the quell being by the victors. Like, it was just horrible. Oh, oh no. Yeah. I Like I said at the beginning, like. I was like, I wonder how this is going to go. Like, they're going to be mentors. Like, where's the story going to go? And then being, I was like, they're going back. Like, what? Like, just such a a, a twist, a plot twist. A twist, Turn of sure. events. But yeah, no, I mean, honestly, it's better that Hamish doesn't go into the arena. They're like, he's kind of pitiful. Like, he's just been drinking for 25 years. Like, literally 25 years exactly. All he does is drink. They're like, for someone who sleeps with a knife, he's pretty bad with one. I mean, again, Peta definitely be, has a better chance of surviving in the arena, but we all know that Katniss is the, the she's OP. Like, she she really does have a chance of, like, winning them again. I mean, again, she's got survival skills. She's really young. She's in shape. Also, she Except doesn't she, know any of the other victors. Like, they talk about that. Like, a lot of them are friends, so it's going to be obviously horrible. a lot harder to, you know, not only... It's not just killing people you don't know at all. It's people you've probably worked with for years because all of them have been mentors at the game. So, like, they see each other pretty much at least once a year. Yeah, well, the victors, like, apparently they all come back every year. Like, they go to the games. Like, they're all, like, de facto, like, 
capital celebrities. And Hamish is like, if I'm in the arena, it's going to be terrible because I'm directly killing them. And if I'm not in the arena, I'll be watching telling, them. I'll be and telling, telling my people how to kill them. Well, not telling, but like but hoping horrible. that they're going to die so my people, so my District 12 people can survive. My neighbors, because, you know, if I lose both my neighbors and... I'll be alone again. <laughs> I'll be alone again. I finally got neighbors for the first time in 25 <laughs> Five years. years. So they they train, they, and then they get on the train. <laughs> Keep that in. Keep that in. That's not going in the bloopers. <laughs> Oof. They train, and they get on the train. Some of my better pros. Okay. And they get on the train to the capital to prepare for the quell. And so some of the tributes that we know, we know that the tributes from one, so the careers, are the tributes from one, they're siblings. They won a year after each other. So that's going to be really fun to, like... Kill your Kill your sibling. And our brother. We know that two... We meet the guy, his name, or we, know, like, know his name is Brutus. So, you know, he's probably going to be a brute. Um, <laughs> also, Brutus, you know, kills Caesar. So that's a really great, you know, good person to be named after. Someone who stabs Caesar in the back. And another career is Finnick, Finnick O'Dare from District 4. He's the really hot one who won the games when he was, like, 14. 14 and he's, like, beautiful. And we're going to meet more of Finnick. And then another woman gets drawn in four, but an old lady, like an 80-year-old woman, volunteers to go take her spot. So for the district, four tributes are Finnick and an 80-year-old woman. A woman called Joanna Mason from District 7. Why is that funny? That wasn't even funny. <laughs> it's just how you said it. You're like... <laughs> And an 80-year-old woman. When, because you're, like, giving names. You're, like, and just some random old lady. Well, I know her name is Mags, but we haven't technically gotten her name in the book yet. Okay, spoiler. The District 4 tribute's name is names. Mags. No spoilers. Sorry, Cut. guys. You won't get it in the next chapter. <laughs> Joanna Mason from District 7, and she's the only woman tribute. Like, she's the only woman victor in the 7 pool. So she's like Katniss. She had no. She knew she was going in, and then I forgot to write down his name. But the male tribute from Eleven is apparently like a good friend of Hamish's. So that's pleasant. Well, we know and, he's gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> District Eleven tributes always gotta snuff it. Okay, and then something I wanted to notice is that President Snow has been the president for at least twenty-five years. We don't know how long he's been the president. Though we have gotten, like, the indication that, like, some of the people in the Capitol, like, kind of stick around forever. Because apparently, like, Claudius Templesmith, the announcer, and Caesar Flickerman, the um, the interviewer, like, they've been doing it forever. And they're unchanged due to plastic surgery. But, like, they've been just doing it forever. And they did it for, like, um, I think they did it maybe even during Hamish's games. But, like, but what I did notice is that President Snow is the one who announces the conditions for the... 50th quarter quell, which means that he's been president for 25 years, generally presidential systems where the president stays around for longer than like a decade, generally not good structures of government. Just wanted to point it out. I mean, I think another not good structure of judgment, of, of judgment, another, 
Another sign of not good structure of government is the fact they have games where they send kids in to kill each other. I think that's pretty terrible. Well, I would agree with that, but I'm 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 just pointing out like flaws in the system because President Snow's like it's so fragile, and I'm like, seems like you built it that way. And then speaking of the second quarter quells to the fiftieth anniversary of the Hunger Games, we which that that is the Hunger Games that Hamish won, which. The quarter quell for the 50th, I don't think we've said it yet, it was that double the number of tributes went in. So instead of 24 tributes, it was 52. 48. Is that the right math? (laughs) Keep that in the episode two. 24 times two. Asia was a math minor in college. It's late. We are recording this so late. It's almost midnight. My brain's not ready for math. 24 times two, 48. A lot of people. A lot of people to kill. A lot of children. A lot of children to kill. A a lot of children to kill. But anyway, we find out that Madge, Madge's aunt, was a tribute in that Hunger Games, in that quarter quell. And if we remember, Madge is the one who gave Katniss the Mockingjay pin, which the Mockingjay pin belonged to her aunt. So I just think, like, this kind of also just makes me, like, kind of sad that, like, the movies, they totally cut out Madge's character, which, like... I know her character's not that important, but, like, we're getting, like, more with her. And also, like, this is Katniss's only real, like, female friend who's not family. So just, like, it was just kind of sad that they just totally cut her character out. Because, like, I didn't even remember this thing about her amping the tribute. But, I mean, I also honestly, like, I forgot that Katniss and Pete actually watched Hamish's games to see how he won. Like, because I'm pretty sure, like, that wasn't in the movie, was it? I don't think it's in the movie, but I totally agree. Like, the Madge character is, it's sad that's cut. Also, because, like, in the Reaping, like, it's Katniss's mom and Madge's mom are, like, friends. I mean, obviously, one of them is her sister, but, like, they're friends. And then also, that girl, she becomes Hamish's ally, and they, like, really help each other through the arena and luckily they don't end up killing each other but they make it to like the final five the two of them i mean obviously hamage ends up winning but like they do really well for district 12 champions champions tributes and like and then also like if the pin was from her aunt then like maybe her aunt wore the pin in the arena for the 25th quell well that's kind of sad because that means she would have died well we know her aunt died no, but I mean, like, she would have died with it on her body if she was wearing it in the Hunger Games. Like, how did they even retrieve that? Well, they get the bodies back. <laughs> Stop. And then they and give they her like... the, the personal effect. I mean, it's a, better, it's a better personal effect than the one girl who had a wooden marble that dropped it and then blew up. They, they describe that in the first Hunger Games, where one girl, she drops her, like, personal token. Oh, and she steps like, off the mine. Kaboom. No, she doesn't step off. The marble falls off, and that turns the mind, so she gets blown up right at the beginning. <laughs> at least it was instantaneous. At least it was instantaneous. And, okay, another moment i got to point out. This is, this ep- theme of this episode is Charles pointing out President Snow's lack of logic. So, Hamish, you know how I mentioned last week that Hamish outsmarted the other tributes to win. So, basically, he uses the force field as a weapon... The axe gets thrown at him, it bounces back, it kills the career from one, and again. So, 
Katniss and Hamish are like, this offended the Capitol. They used the force field as a weapon. They didn't expect that. And that was almost as bad as the berries. And I'm like, again, just seems really fractious if him using the force field as a weapon in a, a 20 or 48 person massacre is like seen as such a slight on the Capitol. Like, I feel like. Again, you need a more stable and equitable system of government. If one teenager killing another teenager with a boomerang gives the president a hernia, like he is like President Snow needs to grow a thicker skin. Like, I don't know. It's just like if you like the the Hunger Games, there are no rules. All they do are like go kill each other. And so like I feel like him using and no cannibalism. Okay. Yes. Thank goodness. But, you know, like, when the District 3 tribute, like, repurposes the mines, like, even Katniss is like, I bet the game makers didn't like that. And then when Hamish uses the force field, I'm like, wow, you guys really, like, you're so sensitive about the wrong things. Like, (laughs) I'm like, he used the force field as a weapon. Like, that was clever. But whatever. I mean, I guess they don't want, they don't want, they don't want this, they don't want the District citizens to be clever. Do you ever think about, like... In Panem, like, in the districts, like, if you were, like, a psychopath, sociopath, like, wannabe serial killer, Hunger Games would be, like, your dream come true. They'd be volunteering left and right. Well, did you, also, <laughs> we didn't mention, though, it's, like, kind of a passing moment. I guess first... maybe not, though, because sometimes those people, like, they don't, they, they only like to do that because they're in a position of power, which is why they want victims, like, people who they feel are vulnerable, whereas you'd be going against scary In the games, scary you're a victim. In the games, you are a victim. Yeah. Also, we didn't mention it. So, yeah, you mentioned that the first, the second quell, there were double the tributes. In the first quell, which was horrible, they elected which children went. Rather than reaping them from a reaping bowl, the citizens voted on which children to send. Terrible. Horrible. So I can't imagine. Imagine being that hated that you got <laughs> sent to your death by your district. Like, dang. Okay, so, yeah, that wraps us up. I, I have a couple things I want to mention before we go. Asia, do you want to go first? One thing, back to Gail, and I was comparing him to Jacob. I saw this actually on TikTok, but Gail is just, like, the epitome of, like, the guy friend that kind of feels like they're owed a romantic relationship just because like you've been friends for so long and like you've had each other's back so long like you feel like you're you deserve that and that's why I just feel like he's he's a Jacob Black like the worst character ever like Gail's definitely not on the same level as Jacob because Jacob's like way at the top of being like terrible 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 but Gail's definitely not that far below him I feel like as the books go on because he gets worse. Yeah. Well, Gail also, like, he doesn't... I can't remember how he, like... His personality becomes less compelling. Like, he's... Right now, like, he's, you know... Enti- he feels entitled to Katniss, which is very Jacob. But, like, his personality is, like, unpleasant. At least, in my opinion. Like, I don't... Like, he's not, like... Oh, yeah. He's not, like, a nice person to be around. So, as the books go on... So, I think that's more of, like difference with but like yeah Jacob is Jacob gets better Jacob gets better at least in the in Breaking Dawn he gets better but like Jacob is just Jacob is stupid because like he just tells 
Bella how she should be feeling. And she's like, not how, that's not how I feel. And he's like, I disagree. <laughs> like, whereas Gail, Gail is like a little entitled, where Jacob is more like, I know better than you what is right for you, which is like, get punched in the face, Jacob. Yep. And, you know, I said I would track what each district makes. We only got one, two more, I guess. So District 8 makes textiles and clothes. And District 13, we heard that they made graphite, but they were primar- their primary industry was actually nuclear weapons. So, you know, pretty big deal. You know, that might be important if District 13 still exists. And in addition to the, we learned about coal byproducts being hysterical, way in the early on the running, Katniss describes the dynamic in the Victor's Village. (laughs) And, like, she's, like, you know, talking about how, like, the three houses, like, they all interact. And she's, like, you know, we all help each other out. Like, I hunt, Pita bakes, and Hamish drinks. (laughs) It was, like, it's just really funny that, like, that's their life. Anything else before we wrap up, Asia? Do you want to hear my whistle story? I guess. So I was at a Model United Nations conference in 10th grade. This was, So this was around when the Catching Fire movie would have come out or would have out. Like, it was, like, the first Hunger Games movie was definitely out. The, the second one may or may not. I can't remember. We figured this out and I already forgot. But... I was, like, at a hotel. Like, the, everyone in this conference was in the hotel, and all our rooms, like, looked out into, like, a back courtyard. And I was on a balcony with, like, my roommate, and I whistled the Hunger Games thing. And someone else from the conference, like, on a different floor responded. Like, someone else was, like, we were all out on our terrace after, like, a day of, like, lectures or whatever you do in Model UN. I can't remember anymore. But, like, I was, like... And then someone, like responded and they did it back and I was like wow this is our generation such an iconic moment I'm sure that made your whole life you were like this is it this is it for me that's when I felt famous (laughs) model United Nations in 10th grade (gasps) that's so funny okay well there you go that's my story um yeah I'm glad we saved that to the end (laughs) (laughs) okay Asia could you please do the whistle for us I really want to hear it No, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do... I can only whistle really loudly. I'm going to try to coach her so that by the time we finish the series, Asia can do it. I can't do the notes. This is probably really fun for our podcast listeners. That's so good. <laughs> I can't do the right notes. Okay, we're going to stop whistling into our microphones because this is probably driving your ears insane. I will work with Asia on this outside of the podcast, so hopefully by the time we finish the prologue, she knows how to do it. We're finishing Catching Fire, so if you do read along, just read up to the end, finish the book for next week. Yes, and as always, if you have any predictions, theories, or questions, or want to keep talking to us about The Hunger Games more, remember that you can stay in touch with us about anything on the Nerd Party website. Just head over to nerdparty.com slash contact and select Throwback Paperback. You can send us an email there and get in touch with the network on Twitter at JoinNerdParty or on Instagram at the Nerd Party and Facebook.com slash TheNerdParty. And to find me, I'm at AsiaBonia on Twitter and at Asia.Bonia on Instagram. And I'm at CEShieland on Twitter and at CShells on Instagram. And remember that, you know, our podcast, as you rate and review us, that helps us in the algorithms. So if you enjoyed it, rate, review, subscribe, 
and check out the other amazing podcasts on the Nerd Party Network. And yeah, definitely subscribe so you don't miss us next week. Yes, hit that subscribe and have a good one. We'll see you next week. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.